Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. This week we started our Christmas series called A Christmas Carol. Join us on a journey through the ghosts of Christmas and the lessons that Jesus can teach us through them. All right, so now we're getting ready to start our Christmas uh, message series. It's going to lead us right up into Christmas Eve, and that is, it's called A Christmas Carol. And of course, this, this title is taken from the traditional story written, or the classic story, the classic novel written by Charles Dickens. And the thing is that this book is probably one of the most famous books of a Christmas story outside of the Bible in the Western world. It's like everybody knows the story of a Christmas carol and Ebenezer Scrooge. And the crazy thing about a Christmas carol, to me anyways, is this, okay? It's not a story of prancing through the snow or dancing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. It's not about going to grandma's house and eating a feast of food, okay? It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about Rudolph. It's not about gifts under the tree. Instead, it's a story about greed, ghosts, and chains. It's more of a story that's probably appropriate for Halloween versus Christmas, but yet here we are, it's become a Christmas classic. And the deal is that Charles Dickens, who wrote the book, when he wrote it, he wasn't trying to write the next Christmas classic, the the classic book that people were going to be talking about for generations about Christmas. As a matter of fact, the reason he wrote the book was he wanted to bring attention to the state of the poor, the abused, and the uneducated and imprisoned during the Industrial Revolution. And this was important to him. Why? Because his father had been arrested and sent to debtor's prison, and because of that, his family lost everything. He lived homeless and broke growing up as a child. And uh, in reading A Christmas Carol, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you can see that there is an instant connection between the two. Because see, just like uh, Charles Dickens' writing of A Christmas Carol uh, didn't wasn't an intent about Christmas, Jesus didn't come so that we could have an awesome holiday to celebrate either. He didn't come so that we could exchange gifts, eat cookies, and have a party on a Wednesday night, which you are going to bring all your desserts for, okay? Jesus came to bring awareness to a situation as well. Actually, not to bring awareness to it, because awareness wasn't the issue, but he came to solve the problem. So what did he come to solve? Well, the deal is that his creation had found itself in the same one as Charles Dickens, Paints for Ebenezer Scrooge. You see, Ebenezer Scrooge, these names are going to kill me, as described by Dickens, is a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. He's blind, he can't see what he's become, or the impact that his selfish, money-clutching lifestyle has had on everyone around him, including himself. And when you get down to it, when you boil ourselves down, that is exactly who we are as well. And some of you are maybe thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. Maybe some of the people in this room can be described by some of those words, but that's not me. See, I'm a good person. I'm more like George Bailey. You all know who George Bailey is, right? George Bailey is the guy from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. A couple of years ago, that was our Christmas series, It's a Wonderful Life. We had some clips from the movie and did that sort of thing. But see, George Bailey is just this all-around good guy that had some bad stuff happen to him, and all he needed was the help of an angel, a friendly little angel, just to get him through. But we all, like Scrooge, have given ourselves over 
to the things inside of us that have left us needing more than a friendly angel to come into our life. For, for Scrooge, what took to shake him up was a business or it was a vi- visit from his old partner, Jacob Marley. So on Christmas Eve, when, when Scrooge is sitting there slurping his gruel and eating his food, uh, this ghost of, I want to say Bob Marley. I don't know. It's just like I got reggae on my mind or something. Um, Jacob Marley, and I do that with names. Like I kept wanting to call Charles Dickens Charles Darwin. I don't know. I've just, uh, I've got all these names in my head and they just kind of, just kind of all merge together. But so, so Jacob Marley like literally comes through the door to talk to Scrooge, okay? He comes through the door and, and he comes up to Scrooge and he's like, yo, homie, what's up? And Scrooge is kind of blown away because this guy just floated through his door. The guy had been dead for seven years, literally to the date. But what surprised Scrooge more than him floating into the room was this. See, Marley had this chain wrapped around him. And on this chain were fashioned cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. And he tells um, Scrooge, he says, look, the reason I'm wearing these chains, the reason I have all of this all over my life is because I am dragging with me throughout eternity the chains that I forged in life. And he says to Scrooge, he's like, buddy, look, you're in more trouble than I am. Because the last seven years, you have spent your life creating such a long chain that you're going to have to drag through eternity. And if you don't do something with your life to fix it, you are going to be in trouble. And see, each of us who are born, we face the same dilemma in life. We are born with a chain on our life from the beginning. And it's called sin. See, we aren't born without sin. We are born with sin, and we start with the chain when we come out of our mother's womb. But the thing is, is that as we go through our life and as we continue to live without Jesus and we continue to sin more and more, the chain becomes longer and longer in our life. And see, the next thing we know, this chain that we forged is wrapping itself around us. It's infinitely long, and this chain slowly, and sometimes not so slowly, destroys us. It puts such a weight on our life that we struggle to move forward. But there's another truth that we need to know, and that's this. God did not have that as a plan for any of our lives. See, that was not God's purpose in creating you and me. He didn't create us to carry a heavy and destructive chain around with us our entire life. See, he created us to be free from the chain of sin. He didn't want our life being weighed down and tangled up by chains that we did not need to carry. And so over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth, was born of a virgin, and came on the scene in order to be the one to pay the price for that sin so that men and women could be free from these chains that we are creating upon our life. But the more challenging truth here is that There are some who have given their lives to Jesus and asked him to get rid of their chains, yet their life is still bound up in chains. And a lot of time what it is is they hold on to these chains. Why? Because the chains make them comfortable. The chains they feel protect them and keep them safe. But in reality, the chains many times that we drag around in our life are not doing what we think they are doing. They're keeping us from who God has called us to be. 
And these chains are the same as the ghosts who visit Scrooge on that fateful Christmas Eve. The chains that hold us back and hold us down are the chains of our past, the chains of the present, and the chains of the future. And in order to live the life that Jesus wants us to live, each of us need to be woken up to the chains that we carry in life. For Scrooge, the, how he got woken up was when Jacob Marley tells him that, look, you guys got some ghosts that are going to come to visit you tonight. They're going to show up in your room, and they're going to lead you on a journey. And, um, and the first ghost to show up is the ghost of Christmas past. He arrives, and it's this strange, silly, childlike phantom who, who takes Scrooge on a journey back into his childhood where he, he, he relives Christmases, and he relives his past, and um, he revisits his school days, his apprenticeship with a jolly merchant named Fezziwig, and his in, uh, engagement to a woman named named Bell, who leaves Scrooge because of his love, his love for money was greater than his love for her. And Scrooge is moved to tears by both the joy and the regret he experiences. And I think if we were all honest and we were to look into our past, we could see the same thing. There are memories that fill us with happiness, and then there are memories that we would just as soon forget. Sometimes memories are captured even in our Christmas trees and our Christmas decorations. We could walk up to our Christmas tree and pull an ornament off our tree and it would bring back a certain memory in our life. Like maybe we've got that ornament, you know, our first Christmas and it's got a picture of you and your spouse on there. Or, you know, it's a, like we've got this one that says Boston, Massachusetts and it's this outline of the city and it's a reminder of our time in Boston. We've got other ones like my brother and sister-in-law. When they got married, they sent us an ornament that's, that's got their picture in and it's got the year that they got married in it. And, um, and so we've got, we can look at our tree and we can even see our past in our tree. It's a trip down memory lane. But the good old days aren't always good, are they? We can be moved to tears both by the joy and the regrets of our past. And see, that's the kind of power that our memories hold over us. Our past can shape how we perceive the present and how we move forward into the future. For Scrooge, his complex past uh, shaped who he was and how he lived as his love for money developed at an early stage, hardened his heart and his ability to love others. And there's a place in the Bible where the past kind of formed a decision that somebody had to make in their life. And to look at this decision, we're going to be turning to the book of Matthew this morning, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And uh, so if you're familiar with that, where that's at, you are welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along as well. And we're going to be reading verses 18 through 25 of Matthew chapter 1. And uh, this is what it says there in this text. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So what do we have here? What am I talking about here? Joseph, he's committed to be married to Mary. 
only to find out that when she returns from a trip, she is pregnant, which, quote, unquote, was initiated by the Holy Spirit. How would that conversation go? Man, your wife walks in the door, and she's pregnant. And she says to you, oh, it was initiated by the Holy Spirit. How would that conversation go? It's so funny because I was Googling stuff, and I came across a news story. Latifah Smith says she was visited by an angel of God in July of 2017 who told her that she had been chosen to bear the Christ's son. He told me that he was a Nephilim like those described in the Bible. Nephilims are mythical creatures mentioned in Genesis 6-4. And this type of creature has been almost unheard of over the last few thousand years, so the teenager's claims have surprised everyone in her family when she announced this to them. Being very religious themselves, they rapidly accepted her claim and showed support for their 15-year-old daughter. Who's supporting anyone who walks into your house and says, hey, I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit? I got to tell you, if that conversation happened in my home, it wouldn't be very a peaceful conversation. Stuff might get thrown and cops might get called. I'm just saying. Because ain't nobody going to believe you when you come and tell them the Holy Spirit got you pregnant, okay? But Joseph, I don't know what's with the guy. He just seems super chill, right? He just didn't care. It's like... They don't even write down his response to this situation. He just goes to bed, has a dream, gets up, and it's like, it's all good. The problem is with dreams. How many of you have a dream and you think every dream God is speaking to you? Okay, let me tell you some of the dreams I've had in the last week, okay? Uh, One of the dreams, I was driving through South Minneapolis. Why I was driving through South Minneapolis, I don't know. And some guy pulls out an AR-15 and starts shooting at us. What could God be saying in that dream? Okay, it's just like, think about your dreams. A lot of the time our dreams happen because of the food that we ate, the medicine that we took, something that we put in our body. And so to have a dream and have God say to you, hey, your wife, that's the Holy Spirit, she's all good, and him to go, sweet, is pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. Now, he did have to contemplate this, though, because what was laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 22 was this. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. So the past, the Jewish past dictated that the woman and the man, how are they going to kill God? I have no idea. But the woman and the man must die. And so this is Joseph's background here. He, he had this in his past. He was taught that her transgressions were worthy of her being stoned to death. Now, to be honest, by New Testament times, that punishment was rarely handed out, so the only other option Joseph had available to him, according to the law, was divorce. And no matter how much he loved Mary, it was his religious obligation to end the relationship and sever the marriage contract. He could honor the shaming dictated by the law and expose Mary's sin through a public divorce, humiliating her in front of her family and friends and leaving her future in question, or he could divorce her quietly with only a few witnesses, doing everything he could to keep both his and Mary's reputation intact. But he simply couldn't stay with her. And here's the deal. Joseph is now looking at something that happened in his immediate past as something that was going to define his future. 
See, from this point forward, he was either going to be known as the guy whose wife he was betrothed to, went out and got pregnant behind his back, or B, he was going to be known as the guy who married the woman who got pregnant behind his He had these two things weighing on his shoulders. That's who he was going to be defined as. See, it just took one minute in his life for everything to change for the worse, and the worst part was he didn't have anything to do with it. And I know a lot of people whose lives have been changed by one bad decision. You know, one bad decision has cost them their home. One bad decision has cost them their car. One bad decision has cost them their family. And you know what? I live in the reality of this more than anybody because one bad decision in my life can cost me my job, my income, my house, my family, my everything. Okay? And so I live with this unique pressure where one, I'm one decision away from losing everything. And I think many of us, if we were to look back into our past and look back into our, the things that we've done and the, the stuff that we've gone through in life, we've got these decisions that are sitting back there, that are weighing back there, that maybe if other people knew that we made those decisions, if other people saw that, it could get us in trouble, and, and we're, we're heavy with the consequences of it. But we know we can never go back and change it. And what happens to a lot of people is when they go through something like that, they allow that past to define them in their life. And they allow it to become a chain of the past wrapped around them. And here's the deal. Many times what the enemy will do is he, if he knows that you are willing to take something that happened in your past and wrap it around yourself as a chain, he will do everything he can to make that chain tighter, to make that chain longer, and to make sure that it holds you down. He's going to try to keep you dragging those chains around the rest of your life. He'll take things that have caused us pain. He'll take things that have caused us hurt. He'll take things that have happened to us, and he'll tell us, listen, you are not worthy of the love of God because of what you have done. You're a terrible person. You are not deserving of God's love, and the only thing that we really deserve is these chains on our back the rest of our life. But here's the deal. Jesus is standing there saying, don't let those things define you. Do not let your past define you. Take those chains off of your life. You don't need to carry them. And so there's three things that I want you to know this morning to help you keep these chains off of your life. The first thing is this. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are completely forgiven of your past. See, this is a thing that we really struggle with in life. The reason we struggle with it is this. We have a hard time forgiving people, right? Somebody wrongs us, and we want to hold on to it. We want to make sure that they pay for whatever it is that they've done to us. I mean, I have lived my life this way in the past. I want to tell you the story about this kid named Jason that I grew up with. It's not Jason Hathaway, so don't be looking at him. Um, But him and I were always fighting. You know, I I just have, um, I've just had a rough week with this whole fighting thing because the youth told Pastor Lisa last week, that I got into a fight at camp when I was with them at camp. Okay, they were, they were over-exaggerating things. I never got into a fight with anyone at camp. But now, now, now the uh, staff assumes I'm a very violent person and get into fist fights all the time. However, when I was in middle school, in, uh, elementary and middle school, I did get into quite a few fights. I've gotten removed from my school bus because this kid was... T- 
I'm just, all right, so we'll just tell all kinds of stories that aren't relevant to our text. So this kid was just talking the whole bus ride home. And so finally I got to my stop. And I got up, and as I was walking off the bus, I just walked by and punched him in the face. Okay? Did that. All right? But this kid, Jason, him and I, <laughs> sorry, um, that's who I was. Sorry, I wasn't very saved when I was a kid. Um, so, so this kid, Jason, and I, we just always got into fights. And it isn't this drama kind of fighting that, that uh, these kids have today. This was like literal punching, hitting, hurting each other. And uh, one time in particular, I don't remember what had transpired, but we were in woodshop together in eighth grade. And uh, we were talking, we were saying some stuff. He got mad. And uh, so he wanted to get me. And so what he did was he took a piece of oak. And if you don't know, oak is a hardwood. And there was a spindle sander in the room. You know, a sander that goes like this up and down. And so he took this piece of oak and he pressed it. And he just forced it into the spindle sander. And it carved this groove in the spindle sander. Literally, it burned the wood. As soon as it got super hot, he walked up behind me and just laid it across my arm like this, okay? I got a third degree burn all the way across my arm. Man, I hated this kid. This is why we got into fights. But today, if I were to see him with a flat tire on the side of the road, I would help him. I would help him meet Jesus by steering my car into him and running him over. Amen? No, I, w- I seriously wouldn't do that, okay? But, but here's the deal is, it took me a long time to forgive this kid for giving me a third degree burn in Woodshop. And this was back in the days when bullying was even talked about. You know, oh, he burned your arm, suck it up, we'll put a Band-Aid on it. You know, that's how it was handled in the school office. Um, but, uh, but here's the deal. You know, we have a hard time. We see stuff like that. We go through stuff like that. And we struggle and we struggle and we struggle to forgive the people who have harmed and hurted us. And we say to ourselves, you know what? If I am like that, if that's who I am, I bet you that's who God is as well. You know, he holds on to things that I do in life and and says to himself, man, you are awesome, but I would be so much more cooler with you if you didn't have all that garbage in your past because I'm having a hard time forgiving you for that. Can I tell you that's not the case? This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. If we have given our lives to Jesus, if we have made Jesus the Lord of our, our life, our past is gone. See, Jesus has made us a new person. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The chains that have been around our life from the past have been broken off of us. There's not a link left on us. He took care of it all. And so when the enemy comes to you and tells you that's not, that it's not true, that God doesn't love you, and you are still defined by those chains, don't listen to him, he is lying to you. God has said he has completely wiped out your past. It's gone. He's broken those chains and set you free, and there's nothing that anyone or anything can do to change it. It's gone. Jesus has wiped it out. He's destroyed it off of your life. You are completely forgiven. You are completely new, and there's nothing anyone can do to change that. All right, the second thing is this. I want you to know that you are not only forgiven, but you are chosen and very valuable. I mean, I think we understand value in in here, right? We all possess things that have value. I mean, our social security number is valuable, um, because if somebody can get that number, they can literally steal your ID, right? 
I mean, I read this news story a couple of years ago. It was a lady who had gotten her ID stolen, her, her social security number stolen by somebody else, and that person went out and committed all kinds of crimes. Well, she got arrested under her fake name and fake social security number, and then she ran. So the person whose actual ID this was was out driving one day. She got pulled over by the police. She got arrested and thrown in jail for two months for crimes she didn't commit. It took her lawyer two months in order to get her out of jail, and now she has to carry a note from, I believe it's uh, uh, Volusia County. She's got to carry a, a note from Volusia County stating that she is not the person that they are looking for, that uh, somebody has stolen her ID, and if she does not have outstanding warrants, um, and, and she's looking to be arrested. And so our social security number is very valuable. Just like our social security number is valuable, we are valuable to God. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, and then verse 11. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then verse 11 says, In whom we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. See, God chose us because we are extremely valuable. Think about that. Um, a lot of football teams have drafts, and they pick up players in free agency, and they'll pay players that have a lot of value for the team a whole lot of money. Try to wrap your brain around this. The highest paid player in the NFL right now is Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers. For 17-week season, he makes $33.3 million. Over 17 weeks, $33.3 million. Now, he also has a bunch of bonuses in his contract. And if he makes all of those bonuses, this year, for playing 17 weeks, he can make $69.9 million. That is an insane amount of money, no matter how you boil it down. But this is what Aaron Rodgers is worth to the Green Bay Packers. And why are they paying him that much? Because there's about 25 other teams that would pay him more to be on their team, which seems really scary. And we listen to that and we think, oh, Aaron Rodgers is so valuable. I wish somebody saw $69.9 million in value in me. Well, here's the deal, okay? Maybe somebody won't pay $69.9 million for you, but somebody literally came and died and gave their life for you. That is far more valuable than any millions of dollars that you can put into your pocket. Okay, Jesus came and paid a price, and so listen, you are incredibly valuable to him. He wanted us to be free from the chains. He came and died so that we didn't have to live under these chains of our past, but we could be set free. And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he's got a plan and a purpose for you. But as long as we're holding on to the chains of our past and not breaking free from him, we can never live in what he has for us. And then finally, we are unconditionally loved. There is an event in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, where Jesus heals a leper. This is what it says. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to freely talk, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him. All right, so to understand this, we need to understand what a leper is and what leprosy is. It is a hideous disease, okay? Literally, parts of your body rot and fall off. You could be sitting there on your phone texting to someone, and all of a sudden, snap, your finger just pops off, your thumb pops off, and just falls on the floor, okay? That's the kind of disease leprosy is. There wasn't a known cure for it at the time. They, and so, in order to prevent this disease from spreading, lepers literally had to be kept separate from the rest of society. They were put in special towns and places, and when they, when they walked out, when they came out of their towns and places, they had to let everybody know that they had leprosy and they were unclean, and so they ran around screaming, unclean, unclean, and so everywhere they went, wherever they walked, they were screaming unclean, and guess what people were doing when they saw them coming? They were running from them. They didn't want to be anywhere near that leper. They didn't want to have their fingers and toes and arms and legs fall off, and so they literally took off running. And those who those, this is who those people were. In the text that tells us that the lepers came out wanting Jesus to heal them, just wanting their body to be made whole, but instead of healing him, Jesus did something more. He literally walked over to the man, put his hand on the man someplace, touched him, and said, you are healed, be clean. This was a huge deal. You want to talk, somebody who hasn't been touched in years by another human being suddenly has this man walk up, put his hand on him, touch him, and he was healed. And the point that I want to make here is this. We think a lot of times, you hear people say stuff like this, I can't come to church because I'm such a bad person that God might strike the church with lightning if I walk through the doors. Well, here is the deal. God doesn't care how nasty, dirty, unclean, unpure, or disgusting we are. When we walk through those doors, he will come up to us, lay his hand on us, touch us, tell us be clean, break the chains off of our life, set us free, push the ghost of Christmas past out of there. See, he loves us so much that he will let nothing keep him from us, not even death, because we are unconditionally loved. But beyond that, there's something else that we need to see. Ultimately, in those verses that I just read, we are the lepers. See, we are filthy. We are all dirty. We are somebody that a holy God could not love, and yet he does. And I think this is something else that people struggle with. They're like, how can God love me? They feel themselves that they are a hard person to love. But see, God doesn't look at us and see somebody who is hard to love. Parents, we've probably all been in this situation. Maybe if you're, if you're really good parents, unlike me, you weren't in, ever in this situation. But your kids at some point have probably said to you, I don't love you anymore. Experienced that, been through that. It's usually in times when you tell your children they can't have something, they can't do something, or they're in trouble for something, okay? That's usually the time. They're not, you're not like taking them to Disney World and they look at you on, uh, 
on uh, one of the rides and go, I don't love you anymore. You know, it's not then. It's usually when, when they don't get their way or something goes wrong. But I have never met a parent who, has their ch- after their child said, I don't love you anymore, kind of turned, their head, turned around, hung their head, and walked away going, man, they don't love me anymore. Because I think every parent says to themselves, you know what? That's my child. I can't stop loving them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are or what our kids have done. We love them. And that's how Jesus looks at us as his children. He looks down and he says, you're my kids. It doesn't matter where you've gotten yourself into, where your past has taken you, what chains you have placed on your life from your past. It doesn't matter. I am here to come down. I am here to touch you. I am here to love you. I am here to give you that unconditional love that you're looking for. There's nothing we can do to get him to stop loving us. And so guys, don't hold on to the pain of the past. Don't hold on to the chains of the past. Don't look at the things that you've done in life and say those things to yourself. God can't love me. God can't care for me. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me because of who I have been. It is simply not true and you're carrying a chain around in your life that you don't need to carry. And this morning, I want to say that God is here to set anyone free who's got those chains over their life because of the things that have happened in their past. God doesn't want you holding on to those anymore. God doesn't want you walking through life with these chains wrapped around you saying, it's my past, I can't get past my past because I've done some horrible things. God is saying, you are free from your past. Those chains can be broken. Those chains can be pushed off. You can be delivered from those chains. You don't have to deal with them anymore doesn't matter what those chains are. You were abused and neglected by your parents. You know what? That doesn't need to define you. Maybe you've been told you were worthless and you had no value. But you know what? That doesn't need to define you. Maybe you had an abortion and the guilt you feel every day haunts you. That doesn't need to define you. See, God has forgiven you. God has healed you. And he wants you to be free from the chains of the things that you're holding in your past. And so this morning, in in closing, we want to allow people who've got chains like that, they've given their lives to Jesus and they're saying to themselves, man, I've got this chain from my past that's holding me. We want to pray and see those chains broken this morning. We want to pray and see God do something in your life. We want to see God break those chains. And so we're going to open the front of the room. And if you're one of those who feel like the chains of your past are holding you back and you want to be free from it, I'm going to invite you to come forward. You can stand, you can kneel, you can sit. And then our prayer team is going to be going around and anyone who comes forward is going to be praying for you. And so I want to challenge you this morning, if this is a chain that you've got in your life, please allow God to come and deliver you from it. Break that chain off of your life and set you free. 
besides it's pouring out right now, so you don't want to go to your car anyway. So let's, let's meet Jesus right now and let him do a work. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.